0: Can't wait for Christmas is a proud member of the Christmas Podcast Network.
1: Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to
2: the Can't Wait for Christmas Podcast! (laughs) It's July 25th,
0: 2023,
1: and that means there's five months until Christmas. Today on the show, it's our 8th Anniversary Listener Appreciation Special, where all the content was chosen by listeners like you. So today, we'll celebrate the legendary Tony Bennett, count down the top 5 Australian Christmas traditions, and put a little Christmas into your workout routine. Plus, it's finally time to move on to round 2 of Merry Music Madness. Okay, let's start the show! <laughs> Happy Christmas in July, you believers, and thank you for tuning in to the anniversary episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. The podcast all about Christmas history, Christmas traditions, Christmas media, and everything else Christmas. I'm your host, comedian, and the guy putting the sweat in his Christmas sweater, Tim Babb. Ew! Sorry, imaginary listeners. Sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. It's just been really hot recently. And this is the kind of Christmas content people have been listening to for eight years? That's right. It's the show's eighth birthday today, and we're celebrating the way we do every year with a listener feedback special. Pretty much everything in this episode was contributed or suggested by listeners like you. So let's dive right in with our first segment, We Need a Little Christmas, now. We need a Christmas now. This segment was courtesy of our listener Dave, who writes, Hey Tim, want to let you know of a way that I've found to add a little Christmas into my weeks. Since the whole COVID thing began, things have been a little difficult getting to the gym. Also, our house got flooded in Michigan and we've been living in a rental for almost a year now. Yikes, Dave. Sorry to hear that. All that leads up to a lot of comfort eating and very low motivation to exercise. I tell you all of this because about a month and a half ago, my wife ordered us a Peloton bike. I was not excited about getting a Peloton bike, but I told her I would absolutely use it. And I have been every day. And then, one day, about three weeks ago, I found a holiday ride class. So I did a search for holiday rides on the bike, and a whole bunch of them came up. So now, every few days, I like to take a Christmas ride. It helps keep me motivated to exercise, and I sneak in a little Christmas. There are dozens of rides, yoga workouts, and stretching classes. The rides range from five-minute warm-ups and cool-downs to 15, 20, 30, 45, or even 60-minute holiday rides. And there are several coaches to choose from, and it's so encouraging. And Dave provided some screenshots of six pages of results when you search for Holiday on Peloton. So thanks, Dave. That is a good way to add a little Christmas to your fitness routine through Peloton. But what if I don't have a Peloton? How did I know you were going to ask me that question? Because from day one of this podcast, my job has been to make your life more difficult. And you're great at it. But in this case, I already have an answer because I, myself, don't have a Peloton and have no immediate plans to change that. Oh, well, you might want to think about it. Okay. At your last physical, the doc said you should lose at least five pounds. I'm aware of that. But my point is, I do have a stationary bike in my garage, and it sits in front of a TV. My wife who is currently recovering from knee surgery uses it and watches Netflix shows while she rides. So, you could do something like that. Just watch a Christmas movie or show or even music videos while you ride your stationary bike. But you could also take it a step further. I searched up some POV walking tours of snowy Christmas scenery. So while you're riding, you've got the view of someone walking through New York or London at Christmas time. I even found a few videos of folks wandering around Disneyland during Christmas time. I'll put links to the videos I found in the show notes, but I want to end this segment with a big thank you to Today for his Peloton Christmas tip. And I also want to mention that we got a Christmas Now email from Glenn of the Season's Eatings podcast. I'm going to save it for a future episode because it's particularly relevant for either Christmas in July or even June, but I did want to shout out Glenn and give a plug for Season's Eatings. It's a great show. You should check it out. And now it's time to go to the other side of the world for our next segment, Five Golden Things. Five Golden Things That's right, this listener's suggestion comes to us all the way from Australia, specifically from Chris, who writes, I know you plan to speak more of how different countries celebrate Christmas, so I thought I might submit my five golden things for how Christmas is enjoyed here down under. Please tell me you do not plan to read his entire email in that accent. I mean, I could tell you that, but it would be a lie. I would just like to formally apologize to Chris, his family, his friends, and the entire continent of Australia for the international crime that is about to take place. Okay, let's hear these five golden Australian things, starting with... Number five! Pavlova! For those that aren't aware, pavlova is a popular dessert that is a national dish in Australia. Despite our neighbors in New Zealand trying to take a claim for it, Wanky face emoji. You're even reading the emojis in that accent. It just makes it easier to differentiate from when I'm talking and from when Chris is talking. Nothing about this is easier. It's basically a meringue type dessert that's covered in cream and topped with fruits of your choice. Typically strawberries, passion fruit, kiwi fruit, etc. And can even be covered in crushed candy canes and or chocolate. It's served all year round, but it's usually served for celebrations and is very popular at Christmas time, where I would say it's most commonly consumed. Now I've heard of Pavlova, but I don't think I've ever had any, so this is something I should check out and maybe add to my own Christmas tradition. <laughs> NUMBER FOUR Summer Christmas Parties. Don't get me wrong, I've wanted to celebrate a white Christmas my entire life. I mean, how could I not want to, when the vast majority of Christmas movies, specials, and songs all contain snow? I mean, the other day I was working outside in 32 degrees Celsius and singing along to winter wonderland. Winky face emoji! Again, with reading the emojis! That being said, it definitely has its advantages celebrating Christmas in the heat. One of which are Christmas parties. Rather than being confined to warmer environments, we celebrate parties at the park, beach, places with pools, rooftop bars, you name it. A few years ago at a place I once worked, we had food vans and ice cream truck, then played lawn bowls before finishing on the dance floor. It was so much fun and would not have been possible if it wasn't a summer wonderland. That does sound fun. Now, as a Californian, I've never really had a white Christmas either, but a Christmas pool party sounds amazing. Number three. Great barbecue weather. If there's something that Australians all love, it's a good barbecue. And what better season to have a barbecue than in the summer? It's quite common in a lot of households to utilize their barbecue on Christmas to roast meats, vegetables, or simply cook the prawns. That's right, we call them prawns, not shrimp. But this doesn't have to be contained to Christmas Day. A lot of Christmas catch-ups and parties during the festive season are held around a barbecue. Well, we are deep in barbecue season here in the U.S., so I can get behind this. But I didn't notice you mentioned barbecuing a turkey... That seems like something that should be tried. Am I wrong? I'm not a barbecue expert, but I think the biggest bombshell here is to learn that you call them prawns and not shrimp. I thought at least you called them shrimp sometimes because one of the most cliched phrases Americans use when imitating Australians is, throw another shrimp on the barbie. Are you telling me you say, throw another prawn on the barbie? Doesn't have the same ring to it. I don't know what to believe now. I, I, I wonder if my entire life has been a lie. Number two. Comfortable clothing. Although I have personally never experienced Christmas during the winter, from what I can tell from the various films I've seen, it seems a requirement to wear warm, bulky clothing. We don't have the pleasure of wearing Christmas sweaters, but that's replaced here with the Christmas-themed shirts that are often accompanied by shorts or a skirt or really anything that makes you feel comfortable with no need to remember to grab your coat before the end of the night. Again, Californian here, it's often still relatively nice here around Christmas. Occasionally it rains, but that's about as bad as it gets. But the warm clothing is part of the appeal when it comes to being cold outside. You bundle up in your, your coat and your scarf and you just get all snuggly-wuggly inside of it. But, like I said, as a Californian, I can see the appeal of the warm weather during Christmas. Honorable Mentions! Boxing Day Cricket! I've made this an honourable mention as it's Boxing Day, which is the day after Christmas, although many Australians would definitely consider this to be a part of the season. Every year there's a test cricket held on Boxing Day that even the most casual of cricket fans will tune in to watch whilst recovering from the festivities of the day prior. I personally don't watch cricket, but I have many friends that look forward to watching this every year without fail and will spend large parts of Christmas Day talking about it to anybody that'll listen. That... that sounds like sports. As the Black Panther said to the Hulk in Avengers Infinity War, we don't do that here. Another bad accent? I'm just trying to say the Bab House isn't really much of a sports house. But you were just watching the World Cup right before recording this. Well, that's because I just finished season three of Ted Lasso, but also the World Cup is being played in Australia and New Zealand right now. Talk about perfect synergy! Maybe just talk about Christmas? We can do that. Let's move to... Number one! Carol's Boy, Keen This is a tradition that takes place in Australia every Christmas Eve. It's a celebration of all Australia's greatest singers who all came together to spend the night singing Christmas carols. There's some incredible talent that goes into these performances every year, and there's always at least one performance that'll bring a tear to my eye. This has been happening in Australia since 1938 and is a tradition that has since spread worldwide. There are two televised programs for this in Australia, the original Carols by Candlelight held here in Melbourne, as well as Carols in the Domain in Sydney. Though our family always tunes in for the original, which we personally think is the best. Though we are a little bit biased with it being in our state, but I know many who prefer the Carols in the Domain. I wasn't aware that Carols by Candlelight was an Australian invention. Very cool indeed. Seems like there are some marvelous Christmas traditions in Australia. Too bad you will never be allowed to interact with that country ever again when they hear your accent. Oh, quiet you. But thank you for sharing these with us, Chris. Hopefully you're enjoying some cold Christmas in July weather while we celebrate Australian style in this heat. Now, if anyone else would like to share their country or culture's unique Christmas traditions with us, I'd love to hear them. Shoot us an email, like Chris did, to christmas at tancast.com. Now, before we get to our feature, we have a few more emails that didn't fall into a specific segment, but they are a part of Santa Bab's mailbag. Santa Bab, he is gonna read some emails from you, or tweets, or Facebook messages to Santa Bab, he is opening up his mailbag tonight. This first one is from Mark, who says... Hey Tim, happy to report that my twins, who are five, have become fans of the show. They get such a kick out of the mailbag jingle, and my son sometimes says to me, I can't wait for Christmas, very sweetly, which of course warms my heart. The other day as we were driving in the car, my son said, Is the man who is talking real? I assured him that you were real and asked him why he would ask that. He said, Because he just had Kermit the Frog on, and Kermit the Frog isn't real, so I thought he might not be real either. ha <laughs> ha! I need to pause the email right here and let you know that Kermit the Frog has never been on this show. There is an imaginary listener who sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog who's been on the show, but he's not real either. He's imaginary. It's right there in his name. Actually, my name is Carl. But as to the question of whether or not I'm real, I assure you that I am. But then again, isn't that exactly what a fake person would say? Well, let me assure you he's definitely real because this many dad jokes cannot be imaginary. Okay, back to the letter. Anyhow, I was just listening to the 7th anniversary episode where the guy wrote in asking about the pronunciation of wonderful in the outro. He thought he heard an added A syllable. I have to admit, I always heard this too, but I assumed what your mother was doing was what I think is called a glottal stop, where you interrupt your breath prior to articulating your next word. Try it yourself as you say the wonderful, the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Am I doing it? I don't know. Let's continue with the letter. But then when I listen to you play her outro back with no music behind it, she actually doesn't make a glottal stop, but she slurs the word THE and WONDERFUL together, as anyone would. And it turns out that when you move your mouth shape from the long E sound to a W, you can't sustain the long E sound and it turns into an UH sound. Again, try it. Okay, let's all try it. The wonderful the wonderful the I don't know if I'm doing it right again. Fun with utterances, yay, so my verdict it is not a regional dialect or anything like that, just the interaction of the e and the w and the particular way your mom pronounces wonderful with a very earnest emphasis on the one, just like my own mom would say it when she was really impressed with something. ah, keep bringing the cheer, mark. Well, thank you for your letter, Mark, and for that in-depth and wonderful linguistic evaluation. Next up, we have a letter from Justin. Long-time listeners may remember that a few years ago, Justin played news reporter Gern Blanston in our made-for-podcast Christmas movie, A Bomb for Christmas. Justin writes, Hello, Tim. I'm writing to say thank you for another year of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. It's like a little Christmas gift every 25th. I have to tell you about two things that have happened in the last year, okay, actually the last 13 months, that are directly related to the podcast. First of all, last summer I hosted a podcast camp for teens at my library we spent a week writing recording and editing podcasts we also listened to examples of podcasts from many different genres maybe just maybe i included an episode of your podcast that featured the incredibly talented gern blanston i hear he's quite handsome too Anyway, as a result of us listening to that episode of Can't Wait for Christmas, one of the groups recorded an incredible podcast about Christmas. I think it started out as a joke to make fun of me and my year-round love of Christmas, but it turned into a very sweet and genuine exploration of the way different people celebrate the holiday. The second thing that happened as a direct result of the podcast was my turn to the stage as Bob Cratchit in December of 2022. Participating in the Bomb for Christmas serial on your podcast reignited my love for acting. It had been 20 years since I last acted on stage. I found a local theater that was putting on a Christmas carol. I auditioned and got the part of my dreams. It was so much fun to be involved in live theater again, and I never would have done it were it not for your podcast. Thanks, Justin, and that's awesome. Congratulations. I bet you rocked the dickens out of that stage as Bob Cratchit. Also, if I'm running behind in show prep for a future episode, think I could borrow that Christmas podcast the teens made? I'm kidding. Or am I? Call me kids. Okay, one last letter before we move on to our main feature. This one's from Bob, who says, Tim, as you may recall, I'm the crazy guy who sent you an email a month in 2021, and I am an avid listener of Can't Wait for Christmas. In fact, I recently mentioned it on the Total Christmas Podcast. I want to let you know that you have inspired me. I have started my own podcast. Our third episode dropped today. I tried to get into the Christmas Podcast Network, but Brian Earle said that's not really a thing anymore. I would love it if you could give it a listen and let me know what you think. Well, Bob, as evidenced by the opening message my wife says at the start of every episode, this show is still a part of the Christmas Podcast Network, which is technically still a thing. It's not a particularly organized thing, but it is a thing. And as one of the founding members, it is my honor to welcome you into the network. By the power vested in me by absolutely no one whatsoever, I declare that the Festive Foreign Film Fans Podcast is part of the Christmas Podcast Network. So shall it be written on this Christmas in July. And now, a word from the newest member of the Christmas Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. And I'm Mark. And we We are are the festive foreign film
0: fans. Try saying that three times fast. I know. We read your minds among all those angry hosts and shows with people doing bad things to each other. Plus the many tis the cozy total Christmas in the 80s podcasts you
2: were
1: thinking. You know, the world needs another Christmas podcast. And why not? All those murderers, they get so many popular shows. But what about Christmas? It never killed
0: anyone. So join us on the 6th and the 25th of each month as we explore our shared humanity and the movies and music of different countries through a common holiday That we all share And we may offer some relationship advice Or even
1: solve a crime or two Wow Festive foreign film fans Coming in June to a podcast channel near you Welcome back For our main feature today Several people wrote or messaged me Asking if I was going to be doing anything To honor the late Tony Bennett Who passed away a few days ago At the time of this recording And the answer to that is Absolutely we are Let's take a look at the life and career Of Tony Bennett
2: I'll be home for Christmas, you can plan on me, please have snow and mistletoe
1: and presents on the tree. Anthony Domic Benedito was born in 1926 in Long Island, New York. He was destined to be a musician, as he once said in an interview, he was singing since he was a baby. By ten, he was already attracting attention as a singer. He sang at the opening of the Triborough Bridge, standing right next to Mayor LaGuardia. The guy the airport is named after? Yeah, the guy the airport is named after. Anyway, by his early teens, he was working as a waiter to earn money for his family after his father passed away. He would sing to customers while they were waiting for their food. I suppose this was a cool thing in the 30s and 40s, but nowadays I think people would just be like... (laughs) Yeah, that's a nice song. Can you just go check on my steak? Then, when Tony turned 18, he was drafted to fight in World War II, where he fought on the front lines in France and moving all the way into Germany. As the war came to an end, he was involved in the liberation of a Nazi concentration camp. But he didn't get to go home when the war was over. He was part of the occupying force in Germany for another year. During that time, he was part of a special band unit that would entertain the American troops, and he sang under a stage name that he'd been using back home, Joe Barry. When he returned home, he was able to get back to performing in local clubs in New York and started building a name for himself, albeit the name Joe Barry. In 1949, he was discovered by Pearl Bailey, who asked him to open for her show in Greenwich Village. He must have done a pretty good job that night because he was noticed by a particular member of the audience, Bob Hope. Bob asked him to come on the road with him because he liked what he heard. Well, except for one thing, that name, Joe Barry. Here's Tony Bennett telling the story to David Letterman in 1986. Well,
2: Bob Hope said, Hey, wait a minute. That's, that sounds kind of plastic, that name. He said, What's your real name? I said, Anthony Dominic Benedetto. Mm-hmm. He said, Well, let's uh, Americanize it and call you Tony Bennett. And yeah. he came out on the Paramount stage and announced me that way. And in show business, we're all a little superstitious. So yeah. uh, when he did that, it worked so well. I just kept it in yeah. a sense. Why not?
1: So the newly christened Tony Bennett now had a contract with Columbia Records. And before long, he had his first number one hit with Because of You. Of you there's a
2: song in my mind Because of you, my romance
1: had its dark. Many more hits followed as did high praise from his contemporaries, including Frank Sinatra, who referred to Tony as one of the best there is. Oddly, the song that would become Tony's signature song never made it to number one It was kind of a last-minute addition to his live show. He was going to play a show at the Fairmont in San Francisco and his accompanist, Ralph Sharon, had a song that he thought might work. see, he was friends with composers George Corey and Douglas Cross and they'd written a song that Ralph thought might play well in San Francisco. So Tony performed it and it went over well enough that he recorded a studio version of it as a B-side to the single Once Upon a Time. It went on to win a Grammy and become the song most associated with Tony Bennett. Although times were pretty good for Tony Bennett, they weren't so good for everyone. The mid-1960s was the thick of the American civil rights movement. Perhaps one of the most notable protest marches of this era was the Selma March for African-Americans to be able to exercise their right to vote. Which may seem like a random thing to bring up in the middle of this conversation about Tony Bennett, but it's not. Tony was there, marching alongside Dr. Martin Luther King. See, civil rights were an important issue to Tony. In years prior, Tony used to sneak Duke Ellington into whites-only clubs. And before that, back in his World War II days, Tony was demoted in rank because he dared to sit with his African-American friend at lunch. As the late Harry Belafonte, who also marched at Selma, said,
2: As I got more involved in the civil rights movement and became more visible as a social activist, uh, from the very beginning, Tony always said, look, if there's anything going on, that you think I should know about, that you might want to have me involved in. Uh, don't hesitate to ask.
1: Now, while Tony would continue to record and perform over the next few years, the British invasion and the rise of rock and roll meant the crooner was becoming less and less popular. Tony had already switched up his style a bit, leaning into his jazz influences, but what mainstream audiences wanted was that rock and roll sound. However, he did find a way to break through the noise of rock and roll in 1968. He released his first Christmas album, Snowfall
2: years we all will be together but the fates allow and us.
1: While the Christmas album did well, Tony struggled to connect with audiences of the 70s. He switched labels and eventually formed his own label, but that label went out of business by 1977. By this time, Tony was rarely getting any work outside of Las Vegas. He developed a drug problem and owed a bunch of money to the IRS. After a near-death incident in 1979, Tony turned to his son Danny saying, I'm lost. As it turns out, his son had a better grasp of the business side of the music business. He moved Tony back to New York and started booking him at a lot of gigs, but smaller gigs like colleges and small theaters. After a while, Tony had made enough through all these steady gigs to pay off his back taxes and was re-signed with Columbia Records in 1986. But part of Danny's plans for his father was to have him connect with younger audiences. At the time, the younger audiences watched a lot of MTV, which actually used to play music. Can you believe it? So, Tony made a music video for MTV in 1987 for a little song called White Christmas. I'm
2: dreaming of a white Christmas With every
1: Christmas card I write Fun fact, I'm pretty sure that's not actually the audio for the video. I can't find it. However, if you live in Italy, the Italian MTV site apparently has that video available, but if you're anywhere else, you can't watch it. Weird. But back to Tony. Playing all those college gigs seemed to pay off in a way that I'm sure neither Tony nor his son Danny expected. Those college kids grew up and started getting jobs, some of them in entertainment, and when they were writing, oh, let's say an insanely popular primetime animated sitcom and needed a cool crooner sound, who did they think of? They remembered Tony Bennett.
2: Capital City, it's the
1: kind of place
2: that makes a bum feel like a king. And it makes a king feel like some nutty
1: cuckoo super king.
2: Look, it's Tony Bennett.
1: Hey, good to see you. Yes, as a member of Generation X or technically a Zenial, I must confess that this is where Tony Bennett first popped up on my radar as a special guest on The Simpsons. And I feel like that's maybe true for a lot of people in my generation. And speaking of The Simpsons, an ex-writer for The Simpsons, Conan O'Brien, got his own talk show on NBC in 1993 and had Tony Bennett on for Christmas that first year. Lately, you've had uh, an incredible... uh... You know, rise in popularity, and you're are being played on alternative radio stations. I know, uh, a, you've been on MTV. Uh, what's really, going on?
2: <laughs> I'd like to know. It's a new vein, but I'm not knocking it. It's fantastic. You know, all the, all the young adults in America have uh, con- they consider me cool. <laughs>
1: Now, Tony was no stranger to the late-night talk show format. Tony did the very first episode of Johnny Carson's Tonight Show, as well as the aforementioned Letterman, and he would go on to do Colbert and Fallon. Pretty much, if you had a late-night talk show, Tony Bennett came on it. But Tony Bennett appeared on Conan's NBC shows, both late-night and then also The Tonight Show, every year at Christmas for 14 straight years. In 1994, Tony Bennett was back on MTV for their Unplugged series. He did songs from the Great American Songbook, including Steppin' Out, which was put into rotation as a video on MTV. I'm telling you, at one time, the whole point of this channel was to play music. Sure, whatever you say. Go back to bed, Grandpa. Steppin' out with my baby Can't go wrong cause I'm
2: in right Ask me when will that day be The big
1: day may be tonight. Tony's MTV Unplugged was released as an album which went platinum and won Grammys for Best Traditional Pop Vocal Performance as well as Album of the Year. Now, Tony was re established as a bona fide legend. He was the go to guy for movie cameos. He was like the Stan Lee of Cool, appearing in movies like Analyze This and Bruce Almighty, as well as TV shows like 30 Rock and Blue Bloods. In 2001, the Grammys gave Tony a Lifetime Achievement Award, but he was not yet done with his lifetime or his achievements. First, in 2002, he had time to release a Christmas album for Hallmark called Hallmark Presents Christmas with Tony Bennett. Then in 2006, just as he turned 80, he released an album of duets called, let me check my notes, yes, duets. It featured Tony singing with a wide range of popular singers like Barbra Streisand, Billy Joel, Bono, John Legend, Paul McCartney, and Michael Buble. Oh,
2: love came just in time You found us just in time And changed our lonely life, life That
1: love we Two years later, he released his third and final Christmas album, A Swingin' Christmas, which he performed with the Count Basie Big Band. City sidewalk, busy sidewalks
2: Dressed in holiday style In the air there's a feeling of Christmas.
1: Then in 2011, Tony began a musical partnership that would define the later part of his life. I'll let him tell the story of how it started.
2: There's an organization in Manhattan that's uh, called the Robin Hood Organization, and uh, they had a big benefit, and they invited me there, and also Lady Gaga was uh, gave a full show to them. And uh, so my son suggested that I, I meet her and after the show was over I, I walked over to her and she was with her mother and father and her boyfriend at the time and uh, I said to her I'd love to make a record with you and she said something so wonderful, she looked at me right smack in the center of my eyes and she said whatever you want to do I'm going to do it with you. And what I like about her is that she kept her
1: word. She definitely kept her word. The two recorded the lady Is a tramp for his follow-up to the duets album called, uh, sorry, let me check these notes again. Ah, Duets 2. But that would not be the last time that Tony and Lady Gaga would collaborate. They recorded a full album called Cheek to Cheek in 2014. Not only that, they also went on a big promotional tour for the album that included a performance for the lighting of the Rockefeller Christmas tree in New York, where they performed Winter Wonderland. Then, in 2016, Tony Bennett was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Although this was kept private until shortly after his 95th birthday, when his son announced his retirement from touring due in part to the illness. That same year, he released his final album, another collaboration with Lady Gaga, Love for Sale. The pair performed two sold out shows at Radio City Music Hall that were edited together into a single televised special called One Last Time An Evening with Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga. Tony. Yes.
0: We're all so grateful to have witnessed your talent your generosity your creativity and your kindness thank you your service through all the years wow thank you beautiful ideas, huh? and Mr. Bennett it would be my honor to escort you thank off you. the stage thank you
1: What a career. What a life. I didn't even get to his acting career, although it wasn't super spectacular, but his many TV specials, including several Christmas specials. And while Tony Bennett was never my go-to guy for Christmas music, you can't deny he's provided us with some great Christmas music over the years. Plus, he was the last of the old crooners. He bridged that gap. He sang with Sinatra and Dean Martin and Andy Williams, but he also sang with Mariah Carey, Michael Buble, and Lady Gaga. And he earned the respect of all of them. Not only that, the guy literally fought the Nazis, marched with MLK, battled addiction and Alzheimer, yet he still had time to record three Christmas albums, multiple Christmas singles and specials and performances. So I'd like to end this look at Tony Bennett with one song that I found when researching this that I wasn't even aware existed till now. It's a Christmas collaboration with Tony Bennett and one of my favorite musicians of all time, John Williams. As John conducts the Boston Pops, Tony favors us with Mel Torme's Christmas Song. And now I'd like to stay with the general topic of Christmas music as I read our final letter of the day from Dave, who writes us about last month's episode. Hi, Tim. Another great podcast. I chuckled listening to you have trouble saying Mormon Tabernacle Choir in the outtakes. We've all been there. The irony is that is no longer the name of the choir. Back in 2018, they changed their name to the Tabernacle Choir on Temple Square. It's hard, though, because they had the old name for so long and released so much music under it. But just an FYI. Thanks, Dave. I am sorry I called the choir by the wrong name last time, but let's see if I get it right this time as we get the results from the latest round of Merry Music Madness! All year long, we're doing a bracket-style elimination competition to find out who is the ultimate Christmas singer or singing group as voted by you. Last time was the final part of round one. You voted for your favorite Christmas music makers. Now let's see how our merry musicians did. Nat King Cole said bye-bye-bye to NSYNC, defeating five. them 82.7% to 17.3%. Burrow Ives also had a commanding victory over Peggy Lee, 82.5% to 17.5%. Michael Bublé burst Nancy Wilson's bubble 79.6% to 20.4%. And it was the Dean Martin roast of Stevie Wonder as he won 75.5% to 24.5%. Mariah Carey did not grant Amy Grant a trip to round two when she defeated her 60.2% to 39.8%. In our Grinch off of Faith Hill versus Thurl Ravenscroft, it was Thurl who stole Faith's Christmas 55.2% to 44.8%. And I officially have to learn their name now because the Tabernacle Choir on Temple Square defeated Band-Aid 54.1% to 45.9%. And finally, the closest matchup this go round was between the King of Pop and the King of Rock and Roll, and Elvis Presley just barely beat the Jackson 5, .5 51.5% to 48.5%. And with that we are officially done with round 1 and let me tell you the choices only get harder from here as you'll see for yourself as we kick off part 1 of round 2 here's who's facing off this month Gene Audrey Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer versus Brian Setzer all the, way. the Beach Boys Losing versus Bing Crosby White Christmas Frank Sinatra, a merry little Christmas, versus Jose Feliciano, Feliz Vince Garaldi, versus Josh Groben, oh, Elton John, versus Tony Bennett, Silver Bell. Fitzgerald For a sleigh ride Together with you Versus Johnny Mathis It's beginning to look a lot Like Christmas Eartha Kitt Santa baby Versus Dolly Parton Mary did you know And the Muppets And a partridge In a pear tree Versus Mannheim
2: Steamroller <laughs>
1: And that's it. The polls will be open until August 24th. You can find the link at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com or on our Twitter or Facebook or threads. It's totally anonymous. You don't have to provide any personal information. You just have to vote with your whole Christmas heart on which one should go to the next round. So get out there, vote, spread the word, and join us next time to see if your favorites will be moving on to the next round of Merry Music Madness. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for eight years of this podcast. Who knew I could blather about Christmas for eight whole years? I knew, quiet you. I would like to thank some people that I don't thank often enough. My buddy, Mysterious Andy, who set up the site for us eight years ago and is still who I come to when I have issues with it. My mom for not only raising me to love Christmas, but also she literally bought the mic I'm speaking into. My wife and my two boys for providing their voices for the intros and outros and all sorts of fun things over the years. And of course, our band leader, the wonderful Kristen, who provided this beautiful accordion music that I am rudely talking over. Speaking of Kristen and significant episodes, Kristen and I both recently joined Jeff for the 700th episode of the Nostalgia Podcast. That was loads of fun, and I'll drop a link to that episode in the show notes of this one. Speaking of links in the show notes, you'll notice there's a link in there for the Entertainment Community Fund. That's there because of the ongoing writer and actor strikes. I mentioned the writer strike back in our May episode, and it's still going on. So if you are like me and would like to support the writers and actors in their fight to get a fair deal, you can donate donate to the fund where they can have access to if they need it. And last of all, I want to give one big heaping load of thanks to you for listening. The July episodes are earmarked as listener appreciation episodes, but I want you to know that I truly appreciate you 12 months out of the year. Thank you so much for just enjoying the podcast, sharing it with friends, everything you do to make me feel like this was not a dumb idea to start this 8 years ago. Okay, that's all I got for you this go around. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas in July, and until next time, Yule Believers, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas
0: 1983.
1: Actually, Dad, it's 2023.
0: Oh. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, aka iTunes, and email us about it at christmas at tancast.com. We'll send you a free Can't Wait for Christmas sticker. If you'd like to see the show notes or leave a comment on this or any other episodes, you can go to our official website, can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can grab customizable t shirts, ornaments, stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas themed items all year long. We'd love to connect with you on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Can't Wait for Christmas pod and on Twitter we are at Christmas pod
1: This segment was courtesy of our listener Dave, who writes, Hey Tim, I want to let you know of a way I have found... Oh, come on. Hey Tim, I want to let you know that you can read like you are not a robot, and then this episode will not sound awful. Uh, bleep or bleep. Don't get me wrong, I've wanted to celebrate a white Christmas all my entire life. Oh no, I'm reading it wrong. Ah. It was so much fun and would not have been possible if I wasn't a somber wonderland. <laughs> I can barely do an Australian accent for a little bit. Barely. Still not, still not quite, but at least getting close. For this long talking in an Australian accent, I'm just, I'm just, it's failure. It's doomed to failure. I don't know why I decided to commit to this, but now I'm deep in the countdown. I can't, I can't turn back now. By the power vested in me by absolutely no one whatsoever... By the power vested in me by absolutely no one whatsoever, I declare! care... Oh, my goodness! They're trying to stop me from getting you into the network, but I won't let them. And by them, I mean my lips. In our Grinch-off of Faith Hill versus Thurl Ravenscroft, it was Thurl who stole Faith... It was Thurl who stole Faith's Christmas 55. 55- that is, why is that so hard to say? It was Thurl who stole Faith's Christmas. Whew. Who knew all those consonants in a row would be so difficult? Did you notice Tony Bennett and Tim Babb have the same initials? It means nothing. <laughs> Ooh, I'm tired, it's late. I better get to editing.